Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. I'm so glad to be here, and I hope you are too. Uh, we're going to have a good time tonight. Thankful for everybody that made it out to the house of the Lord. Thankful for everybody that is right now sitting in their pajamas watching this via internet broadcast. I just appreciate that y'all aren't watching reruns of Gilligan's Island or something on Nickelodeon. And you've decided to join us for the service. Amen. It's all right to laugh in church, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord another good hand clap of praise? Praise God. You can be seated. Uh, I do have a tendency to ramble, and I don't want y'all standing up through all of that. I do appreciate the opportunity to preach to this church, and I'm thankful for uh, having a, a home like this, a church home like this, wonderful place. If you don't have a church home, Greater Life Church is a good one to have. And, you know, I was thinking about this. A lot of people will say things like, well, I don't, you know, I, I don't. I don't need a church. I, I, I worship God on the tractor or I worship God when I'm hang gliding or whatever they do that they want to make out to be their church. And the fact is, is we have a complex relationship with God. It's a multifaceted relationship with God. And I want to talk to you about that a little bit tonight. But one of the things that we need to understand is in this multifaceted relationship we have with God, there are certain interactions that can take place all by ourselves. As an individual, we're, we're children of God. So in a relationship between father and child, we can have that relationship. But there's another relationship that we need, and that is the relationship of Christ and his bride. And I can't have that relationship with God outside the union, uh, the gathering together of believers. And so, as a matter of fact, the relationship is wholly inappropriate unless I am gathered together as part of the bride of Christ. We have all sorts of different connections and connectedness to God, and we need to do our best to explore all of those ways in which we can commune with God. And we need to explore them in such a way, not as, a, as an observer, but as a participant. We need to get involved in it. You know, people say, well, I like to pray quietly. Well, there's a time to pray quietly. And then sometimes the Bible says you need to speak up. You need to make a noise. You need to shout. There's a time for a somber assembly. And then there's a time to rejoice in the presence of the Lord. I'm glad that I'm not living in a relationship with God that limits me and tells me I have to do one certain way every time I come. Listen, the thing about a move of God is that when the believers come, not knowing what to expect, that's when we're going to have a move of God. Knowing only to expect. See, on the day of Pentecost, there were two groups of people that came there that day. There were those that had come out of habit. that They had come there because it was the Feast of Pentecost. That's what they've done ever since they were born. They came there. They celebrated. They knew the horns were going to blow. They knew that they were going to do this and that. And then they were going to go home. So they pretty much knew exactly what to expect. And chances are those people had that exact experience. But there was another group of people that had had contact with the risen Savior, and he had told them to tarry in Jerusalem 
until they'd be endued with power after that the Holy Ghost came upon them. Well, they didn't know exactly what that meant. So they had come knowing some things to expect, but they really didn't know anything but to expect. And when they had that open-ended proposition, when the Spirit of the Lord began to move and they were able to, His Spirit bore witness with their spirit, they began to reach out to it. They didn't understand all of it. They didn't have all the answers. But as they felt the leading of the Holy Ghost, they began to open up to it. And guess what? An absolutely unprecedented experience took place. And they were able to experience God in a way that they personally had never experienced Him before in such a way that it spilled out onto a city that definitely wasn't expecting that kind of activity to be going on. The next thing you know, there's hundreds and thousands of people filled. The next thing you know, this thing starts moving into a greater multiplied movement, and it carries to this day. And those same experiences that were recorded in the book of Acts, we can experience now. The thing about it is is we, we look at the, the, the this this talk of, of, of spirituality, and there's a lot of it in the day that we live in. And I'm not taking away from that. I, I learned a long time ago, a man with an experience will always beat a man with an argument. And when people experience something, they've experienced it. And I don't know everything, and I don't understand everything. I don't understand. You know, there's very little I do understand, to be quite honest with us. And most of the things that we think we understand are actually just good guesses, based on some limited experience. A lot of people have had experiences with church and they've had a bad experience with church. Uh, something happened and somebody made them mad or they came ready to get mad, which is usually usually the case. We're, we're looking for a reason to not be involved because the flesh doesn't want to submit to anything. The flesh doesn't want to say something outside of what I feel is is not accurate. This is my way and I feel this way and bless Pat, this is the way it's going to be. Well, the fact is, is there is a God who has an idea. He's got a big idea for you. He's the one that designed us. And when he designed us, it wasn't by chance. And, and, and there are no, you know, there's no leftover batter. You know, when my mama was making biscuits, there'd always be that one little midget biscuit. You know what I'm saying? Because it was left over. She was, she was, you know, she had pinched here and thrown there and came together. There's always that one little biscuit that comes out. Ain't nobody in here a little biscuit. All right? You, 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 there, there was plenty of batter to make you. And when God made you, he made you not only on purpose, but he made you with purpose. Amen. Do you believe that? Some of you don't look like you believe that. Some of you might think you are the leftover batter. But the fact of the matter is, is everybody has purpose. God made you in his image. And I'm going to talk about a lot of those things tonight. And really, to be quite honest with you, I'm just letting you get used to me and me to get used to you. And I'm letting everybody that's at home go get their cup of hot cocoa so they can sit down in their chair or their fuzzy slippers or whatever. Yeah, I'm bitter. I had to beat the traffic. I came out tonight. I could have preached this via satellite, but... I decided to show up. No, I am very thankful for everybody that's watching at home. You really could. Gilligan's Island does come on at this time. So, amen. So what I want to talk to you about tonight is the expanding kingdom of God. 
the expanding kingdom of God. But before I go any further, what I, I would like to do is this. I want you to sincerely pray for me and sincerely pray for yourself. Because the Bible says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracle of God. That's a pretty tall order. I, I want to get all of me out of the way. And I want Jesus to speak through me to you tonight. And, and the Bible says that we must receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save us. So I have a responsibility and you have a responsibility. So what I'd really like for you to do, no matter where you are right now, I'd like for you to pray for me and then pray with me for you. Lord, in Jesus' name, I love you and I thank you. And I believe that you have me here by divine order tonight, Lord God, and I ask you to anoint my lips of clay. I pray that you would take a coal from the altar and touch my lips, Lord, and let me say something here tonight, Lord God, that will forever change someone's life under the sound of my voice. Lord Jesus, I pray right now for all those that are hearing the word of God, either now or in the future by recording. I pray, Lord God, that you would be with them right now, that you would open our understanding that you would allow us to receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save us. Lord, we need saving. We need to be saved from our own selves, Lord God. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus that the word of God will outweigh every conflicting idea that is in our thought process. I pray that you would open our understanding, relax us enough, Lord God, to open up and not be afraid of you, Lord. Don't let us be afraid of the only one that can help us tonight. Lord, we pray this in the name that was made perfect through suffering. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said in Jesus' name, let's give the Lord a good hand clap of praise. Amen. Now, I see the clock. Okay, great. Genesis chapter 3, chapter 3 and beginning with verse 1. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, And ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit of the tree and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened. And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid 
themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Amen. You know, those are the first words recorded of a man speaking in first person to God. That's the first thing recorded that a man ever said to God, I was naked and I hid myself. Does anybody know what the last words recorded in the first person of a man speaking directly to God? It's found in the book of Revelation, and it's John the Revelator, and he says, even so come Lord Jesus. The first words were, I hid myself. The last words are, here I am, come get me. Something in the middle took place here, and that's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about the expanding kingdom of God. Now, folks, I have about 30 days worth of thought and about 30 minutes worth of time. And I'm going to do my best to cram it all in. We all got work tomorrow. But I really honestly believe that the Lord gave me this message and pastor felt the same way and he asked me to preach it here today. I want to talk to you tonight about the expanding kingdom of God and I want to touch on the theme, our annual theme this year, I Am Greater Life Church. And, you know, marketing is... Is, is something, right? You know, we, we, we want to get in front of people. We want to share this message with people. We, we want them to experience what we're experiencing. And having a theme is a tremendous focal point for the church. And, you know, I, I was out for a couple of weeks. I'd been out ministering and I'd been uh, out of town and I came back in when, when this was up. And it, it, when I saw I am, I really didn't see the greater life church part. And I really didn't, hadn't fully caught on to the, to the, to the, to the theme. And, and, I, and, and there are no two words that excite me any more than I am. And I don't think of I am as me. I think of I am as him, ego I may. But the first part of that phrase, ego I may, is ego. And when we talk about the I am, when we talk about the great I am, our thoughts think of the vastness of God. And we, it thinks, we think about the ever-expanding unending knowledge of God and all that he is. But, but the fact of the matter is, is we really think of God in the way that we think of other people. When you think of God, you think of a physical body, maybe Jesus, the body of Jesus or, or whatever. But, but the fact is, is God's primary substance is not flesh and blood. It's not, it's not central. It's not local. He is a spirit. And so when we start thinking of God, and when I say start thinking of God, I literally mean when our thought first goes to God, whether it's in prayer, whether it's in explanation, whether it's in preaching, whether it's in church, when we first think of God, the way that God wants us to think of him is as an omnipresent spirit, everlasting to everlasting. Jesus repeatedly warned us to not hang on to these local under this local understanding because he knew what we would be facing in our lives. And, and, and he also knew coming into a world that was full of polytheism, polytheism means the worship of multiple gods, he understood where polytheism came from. 
He understood why men made multiple gods. You know, there's a reason that people make multiple gods. Multiple gods actually come out of an understanding of only ourselves. We have all of these emotions and all of these feelings. And and originally, if you want to look at, say, where the Greek pantheon came from, why would somebody begin to worship the God of war, the God of love, the God of this, the God of that? Why? Because we have all of these emotions. We are multifaceted beings. And and nobody, look, you know how you feel when you fall in love. We get silly. We get stupid. We do dumb stuff. We drive long distances for no reason to see somebody for five minutes. It's ridiculous. Nobody, you're out of control. Nobody wants to say I'm out of control. They want to say Venus is controlling me. The goddess of love has gotten a hold of me. Nobody wants to say I'm a horrible lush and I like to be drunk all the time. So they say Bacchus got a hold of me. These gods, and, and nobody wants to say my anger is out of control. So, so they say Mercury got a hold of me, the god of war, and, and, and he took control of me. And that's where all of these gods come from. They come from this lack of understanding of, of how out of control we really and truly are. The fact of the matter is, is if we really want to understand ourselves, we first have to understand God. Because remember, we were created in the image of God. And God is one. So that means that my individuality, who I am as a person, I am created in the image of God. So when we say I am greater life, actually what we have become is a cell in the body of Christ. Our bodies are made of cells. The Bible says that the things that are seen are made of the things that do not appear. It's talking about a molecular connectivity that makes the body. We really are greater life. We really are made part of that. And when God made Adam and Eve, he literally made them in his image, male and female created he them, the Bible said. Well, how can that be? Well, there's only one you. You are the only one of your kind. And God is the only one of an only kind. And so when Adam and Eve were, were, were put in the garden, there were, there were two trees there. One of them was a tree of life, and one of them was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God made both of them. We can go into a a rabbit hole here and start trying to talk about that, but the bottom line is this. The tree of life was the source of eternal life. I believe personally that, that Jesus is the tree of life. I believe that the living word of God, I believe that tree was the living word of God. And, 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 and it was a source of life. The Bible says in him was life, right? In him was light. In him was life. And, and, and that light, light shined in the world and it illuminated the world. The knowledge of God, the Bible says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, right? There's no knowledge outside of the knowledge of God that will bring life. But he had an alternative there. We always have the ability to tie into the long term or to tie into the short term. And the fact of the matter is that in the serpent's subtlety, his lie was not really a lie. It was actually a misplaced truth, which is a lie. You see, that's the thing about truth. 
truth is truth when it's applied properly. But you can take things that are true and put them out of context or alter them slightly and they become a complete untruth. My daddy used to always say, son, there's two ways to say things. He said, you could tell a woman that she's so beautiful that when you look at her, that time stands still. Or you could tell her that she's so ugly that she'll break a clock. Fact of the matter is, is you've said the same thing in two different ways. And hopefully you're a little more kind with your words than unkind. But the fact is, is if you look at what the, the serpent tempted Eve with, he tempted her with a truth. He said, you'll not surely die. Well, she didn't drop dead. So yeah, he was telling the truth. But the fact is, is she introduced death into her life and into the life, uh, uh, into the, into the garden. So that, that was true, but it was a lie because of its context. And then he comes and says, for God knoweth that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. Well, it says one verse later, their eyes were both open. So did he lie? No, he just put it and seeded it in such a way that made it where it was not truthful. It was not the truth. And as a result of it, she introduced something into herself and, and, and an Adam, of course, being there with her. And personally, I think that the sin of Adam was more so in blaming Eve for it than actually him eating of it. The fact is, is if you, if you go down a little farther in the story, God says, who told you? She said, well, it was her. <laughs> she did it. So, so, so check out what happens here. Adam and Eve eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, now, listen, folks, it's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. It is knowledge. It, 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 is, it will give you knowledge, and, it, and it's got good in it, but it's also got evil in it. See, the tree of life doesn't have evil in it. The tree of life has life in it. Notice, notice it doesn't say the tree of good. It says the tree of life. Why? Because life, I'm going to experience things that are good and bad. But, but see, when I'm dealing with Jesus, he's able to draw good out of the bad. You see, all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Well, what's his purpose? His purpose is life. He said, I came into this world that you might have life and life more abundantly. So the tree of life held within it the purpose of God. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil held within it the purposes of self. And the ability to make or gain or grow or do all of the things that, that man can do. Listen, at the Tower of Babel, God himself, and when God says something, that's the way it is. When you read something in the narrative of the scripture, that's what God thinks about it. And the Bible said God saw that they were of one language and of one mind, and he said, if I keep them like this, there is nothing that shall be held from them. Why? Because we're created in the image of God. And you leave a bunch of little gods running around to their own Devices, and guess what they're going to do? They're going to create such a hell, you could not record the damage of it. 
The fact of the matter is, is the good that's in the tree of good and evil was good, but the evil that was in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was evil. And that's the problem. You see, because we live in a day that's so busy trying to prop ourselves up and tell us how good we are that we will not recognize the evil that dwells within each and every one of us. And we start saying things like, well, you know, is that, is that really the case? Is that really? Listen to me, folks. I'm, I'm going to throw something out here. We all know of the horrific actions of, of Nazi Germany. And when we think of all of the, the millions of, of Jews that were killed, and we think of if, if I was there, I would have I saved the Jews. I, I would have been, you know, Carl Schindler. Do you know why you know the name of Carl Schindler? Because there was only one of him. An entire nation of people turned a blind eye and actually became willing participants in the destruction of an entire race of people. And I'd like to think of myself as Carl Schindler, but chances are all of us would have ended up as a guard in a concentration camp. Ooh. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good. See, this is where the rubber meets the road, folks, because we don't want to think about that. We don't want to think about the darkness that dwells in us. Carl Gustav Jung said this. He said, if the branches of a tree reach to heaven, then the roots must reach to hell. You see, when we were in the garden before the fall and we were eating freely of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, uh, eating freely of the tree of life, the concepts of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil were not even in our frame of reference. Adam and Eve did not become naked when they ate. They saw that they were naked. They had been exposed to something that limited their ability to become more and more in the image of God. When Eve and Adam ate of that tree, it introduced something into this world, and that is self-consciousness. They, they looked at themselves. Now, this was a deal. That was actually the temptation, that you'll be as gods. Well, the fact of the matter is they already were as gods. And you see, the fact of temptation is this. We are never tempted with anything that we do not already possess or that we will not possess if we live lawfully, if we live according to the purpose of God. I'm not tempted with stuff I don't want. It's not a temptation. I don't want it. Mountain climbing is not a temptation to me. I don't want it. So you're not going to tempt me with a, Paid vacation to climb mountains. You're not, it's not going to happen. Now, if, if, if you want to tempt me with pasta, I'm probably going to give in because it's something I like. It's something I want. But when you look at what Adam and Eve were looking, the, the question that I have is this. What did Adam and Eve not already know? What was it that would cause that to be a temptation? In my opinion, I believe that they were looking at the majesty of God and, and, and maybe in some 
twisted way, they thought it would make them more like him. You see, I don't, I, I don't believe that everybody's motivation is to deter and to... to, to I, don't, I don't think that, that people are necessarily s- steeped in evil thoughts so much that all they want to do is subvert God. I think that a lot of times people have the best of intentions in trying to help people. But the fact of the matter is, folks, is there's a purpose that we can't see. There's a purpose that we don't understand. And God begins to allow things in our lives and we view them... And we think of them as being bad. Loss. When we suffer loss in our lives, a lot of times we we first want to start blaming God. Why did you take this from me, God? God never takes anything from us except that he's making room for something that we've not yet understood that will bless us and be better for us. How could they do that to me, God? Well, Well, they did it. That's how. It happened. Life is unfolding. But if you're eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, all you have is your own reasoning. All you have is your own plan. All you have is your own limited capability to discern and to unfold and to understand. And so you have to figure it out yourself. And usually what happens is bitterness and angst and anger or self-righteousness or actually hiding ourselves from the only one that really can help us. Because you see, what, 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 what Adam and Eve did was they took of God's creation and tried to cover themselves with it. That's what we try to do when we don't want to face the issue. When we don't want to come down to the point and say, Hey, God, I need you to, to align me. You see, because actually the way that a person gets into alignment with God is by actually being exposed to God. The only way that Adam and Eve had an uninhibited relationship with God was when they were naked and not ashamed. That was the only way they could have it. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well and describing to her what God is actually looking for in a worshiper, and you've heard, Pastor Hughes, and you've heard Dr. Hughes preach this a thousand times. He said, God is a spirit. Now, now where did we go? We went right back to the original form of God. If you really want to get a hold of God, first of all, you've got to understand that he's not limited by your limitations. He's not limited by what's going on in the world. He's not limited by the evil that we're experiencing all around us. It, It has nothing to do with him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's a lowercase s and a lowercase t. It's talking about an open and honest human spirit. It's not until we can bear our hearts to God completely that we can actually have communion with him. You say, well, Brother Odo, what does this have to do with an expanding kingdom? I'll tell you what it has to do with it. The limitations that are on the kingdom of God have nothing to do with God tarrying. It has nothing to do with the evil that's in the world. If you want to look at a world in which God started his New Testament church, it looks a lot like the world we're in right now. The Roman Empire was one of the most vile, most corrupt, most dishonest cultures 
that had ever been. It didn't start out that way. It started out with the best of intentions. And if you've ever read the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, you'll understand that, that the Roman Empire was actually founded on principles that were right, that were true, that were correct. Principles like justice. Principles like citizenship that would allow you a a, a room and and latitude that you would be able to provide for your family and do for your family. And and, and it, and it, it gave us a political system that had checks and balances. But because it lacked one thing, and that was the knowledge of the one true God, it had a shelf life. And as it began to devolve, it became one of the most corrupt and vile cultures that has ever been on the face of the earth, kind of like where we are right now. Folks, it, it disgusts me to see the things that go on in this world in the name of advancement and intelligence. More children are killed every year than in the entire Jewish Holocaust. In this country, right here, right now. It happened today in this country. We, we allow that to go on. We allow that as a society to go on. That's how I know that evil is in our hearts. And whenever it comes time for the church to step up to the plate, what do we always do? Because we've been given this new life. We've been given this revelation of the mighty God in Christ. We've been given this revelation of the power of the new birth and the power of the Holy Ghost. And every time we're given the opportunity to step up and speak on his behalf and reflect his image, what happens? We say, oh, I'm naked. I'm limited. Now, don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good, folks. The fact of the matter is, is we all know what we know. We, uh, John said it this way. He said, this, this thing wasn't done in a corner. This is something that we've, we've, we've seen with our eyes. We've handled with our hands. We've experienced this personally. What's keeping us? I know what kept me. And I'm not, I'm not standing up here as somebody that is without fault because Lord knows that I, I, I wasted a good 12 years. What is it? What was it? It was me operating out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil rather than allowing Jesus to bathe me and to wash me and to cleanse me. It was me covering up with God's creation and then hiding amongst God's creation rather than actually reflecting the glory that God has within me. Because you see, this is, this is the fact of the matter. In, in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, it says it this way. It says, for every battle of the warrior... It's with confused noise and garments rolled in blood. The confusion of life is all around us. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and and garments rolled in blood, fallacies and and lies and half-truths. That's that's the struggle of us. It's Listen, we don't really understand everything that's going on around us. We're assuming the majority of it. It's confusion, and, 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 and I just don't know what to do, Lord. I'm just going to pray. Listen to me, folks. We have to pray. 
We have to connect with God, but we also have to move. I'm not saying go necessarily put it on someone else. I'm saying manifest in me because check this out. It says, for every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. To order it, to establish it, Henceforth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. Mm. Mm. What do you mean? What, 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 what do you mean? What does that mean? What that means is this is no matter how messed up and bloody, no matter how distorted and destroyed it might be, If you can get to a place where you will open up to God, a child will be born to you. His name is Jesus. And when he's born into your life, he begins to increase. See, remember this, folks. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Okay, think about that. The kingdom of heaven is within you. You see... Quantum physics has given us a lot of understanding. The farther you go out into space, the universe begins to expand. And every tool that is used to measure the expansion of the universe is actually human consciousness being able to comprehend that. So when the lens goes out on the camera that sends back messages in the ever-expanding universe, guess what happens? The universe expands more. Quantum physics has proven that there is no expanding universe without the presence of human mind. So whenever I see it, I affect it. Why? Because I'm created in the image of God. And no matter how far I get out into it, it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Why? Because God, if you go to the, if you run to the end of the end, God is going to make another end because you're never going to find the end of him. He said, I have put your sins as far as the east is from the west, not from the north to the south, because as soon as I hit the north pole, I crest over and I'm headed south. I can find the end of the north, but I can't ever find the end of the east. I can't ever find the end of the West. And so as far as we go out into space, there is this ever-expanding universe. Well, there's also inner space. And through the discoveries of electron microscopes and atomic microscopes, as they go in to the human being, they find that it goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper on a molecular level, an atomic level, subatomic level. It goes into the point that it breaks down into energy. And then it goes beyond that point and it breaks down to a wavelength. It breaks into a sound. Listen, folks, the kingdom of God is forever expanding within us as well. How do I get there? Well, I don't get there from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
I don't get there from making up my own salvation. I don't go in there by having church on a mountainside. I go in there by digging in that old black back book. And I begin to discover the truths of the word of God and I let it wash me. The Bible says by the washing and regeneration of the word of God. And I begin to understand something that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil did not offer what was promised. It broke the boundaries. It destroyed the boundaries. It created continual chaos. And in the continual chaos, I can never find peace. Have you ever met people that are endlessly studying and studying and they're constantly searching, but they never find that peace. They never find that, 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 that place where they're able to actually breathe the sigh of relief. I'll tell you why. Because that peace is not in the knowledge of good and evil. It is in the knowledge of life. And when you get a hold of it, you begin to understand the power of the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Did I jump off too deep too quick? Y'all looking at me like a tree full of hoot owls, folks. I, I hope I didn't lose you on something. But, but, but what I'm trying to say to you is this. This is happening within you. This I am that we serve. Listen. Really understanding who we are is the key. But before I can understand who I am, I've got to understand who he is. If you look in the book of of John, you'll see the Bible says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And it says, we beheld him, the glory of the only begotten, the father full of grace and truth. And then, it, and then it goes on in John chapter three. If you follow John all the way through, you're going to see everything you need to see. You get a revelation of who he is. Then you get a revelation of how you can become like him, John chapter 3. And then you're going to find that that when Peter was asked, who do men say that I am? Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Why was he asking that question? He was asking that question because he understood that if you don't know who he is, you'll never understand who you are. And if you don't ever understand who you are, you can never bring yourself to a place of repentance. And if you don't ever bring yourself to a place of repentance, you can never find the new birth. And if you don't find the new birth, you can never truly become in his image because we were born in sin and shaping in iniquity because of the fall of Adam. So I got to see him before I can see me that I can bring me to him so he can bring him to me. <laughs> you see, the fact of the matter is, folks, it's always that endless journey of me chasing him and him chasing me. You see, God is limited by his own word. And so in Isaiah 9 and 6, when it says the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end to order it and to establish it with righteousness henceforth forevermore. It says the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. You know what zeal is? It's overwhelming passion. Let me tell you what God is doing over your life. He's standing there with bated breath, just saying, let me in. Let me in. For thousands of years, he looked over humanity and he thought, not yet. Not yet. He's laying groundwork all through the Old Testament. 
He's laying ordinances. The Bible says line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. He's laying that foundation. What's the foundation that he's laying? He's laying a foundation to fulfill. Because when you're talking about life, you have to have boundaries. People say, I'm just free. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. I'm just going to be free. Listen, nothing of any power happens in diffusion. The reason that this light in this building is not burning a hole in our heads is because it's diffused. But if you run it through a series of prisms, it will cut, it will cut steel in half because it's focused. The difference between a swamp and a river are its banks. There is no positive movement. There is no movement in a particular direction that can find anything without boundaries. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil promises liberty, but it brings death. Oh, not immediately. Because that would be too orderly. It only brings the ever-ending, unending, never-ending, unending death of separation from God. But the tree of life says, light comes, he divides the light from darkness. And that's the first day. Second day, he moves, he speaks, he creates, he separates. It's always about division. Everything that you talk, people say, oh, it's all about unity. No, it's not. The Bible says, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit, not the spirit of unity. There's a difference between the unity of the spirit and a spirit of unity. Nazis had a spirit of unity. Look what that caused. The Bolsheviks had a spirit of unity. Look what that caused. It always causes death to align yourself outside of the spirit of God. But when you have the unity of the spirit, what you have is this interconnectedness of all things to the spirit of God. And when we connect to that, guess what? I don't need to judge you anymore. I don't need to control you anymore. I don't need to to make you be like me anymore. I can allow you to be you and you can allow me to be me because we're connected to the same spirit that is continually refining us and teaching us and showing us. And there's this hunger that builds and we create this community and this community begins to spill over into every aspect of life. And before too long, it starts drawing men. And there's no need. This is what he said. And in that day, no man shall say, know the Lord. For all men shall know the Lord. Why? Because his kingdom is expanding. What are you saying, Brother Odo? We don't need preaching and teaching? No, I'm saying we absolutely need preaching and teaching. But what we need to do is allow the preaching and teaching to connect us to God more than giving us a billy club to beat each other up with. I'm going to amen myself because that was a good one. Hallelujah. Amen, Brother Odo. Go get him, Tiger. You're doing good tonight. I could go into Romans and we could go into Romans chapter 8. We could go into 1 John and I could show you what I'm talking about. And I don't feel like I explained myself very well tonight. But, 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 but what I want you to understand is that we're part of an expanding kingdom and our purpose is not just to make noise. Our purpose is to manifest. The Bible says the whole creation groaneth and travaileth, waiting on the manifestation of the sons of God. 
Do you know what? This world doesn't need another building with chairs in it and people singing and clapping. That's not what it needs. Listen, you can step out in the street and spit in any direction and hit a church. Full of good folks. Love God. You know, doing their thing for Jesus. That's not what the world needs. We don't need a crowd. And I love our pastor for a number of reasons. But the main reason that I love him is that he is not worried about who's in the pew. He's worried about who's in the place. He's worried about the presence of God being here. Because this is a deal. If we will hunger after the presence of God, we will manifest in his presence. See, the thing is this. When you get in the presence of Jesus, you're either going to turn to him or you're going to run from him. You're not going to shrug your shoulders and stand there and sit there and, and, and just hang out with him. You're either going to move towards him or you're going to move away from him. And folks, there comes a time where we move towards him or we find ourselves moving away from him. And when we realize that we are greater life, the only Jesus that this world is going to see is the expanding kingdom in my own life and in your life. When pastor was preaching, I wrote this down this Sunday. Our purpose is to manifest the presence of God wherever we are. That's, that's what it is. And, and, and listen, when you look at the Lord's Prayer, you'll see that in there. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Wait a minute. I'm asking for something before I'm repenting? How does that work? I thought we were supposed to repent first and then ask for something. It says, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Well, how does that work? Well, I'll tell you why. Because I can't repent of something until I first understand how I'm a sinner. And you know why I'm a sinner? You know, you know what the sin is in that that I'm asking forgiveness for? It's for the misappropriation of what God gave me yesterday. Give us this day our daily bread. Why does he give me daily bread? Jesus said, if your children ask for a loaf of bread... Would you give them a stone? How much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Ghost if you ask him? See, when God gives me my daily bread, it is not for my consumption. It is for me to cast on the water that it will return to me in many days. But when I misappropriate what he gave me yesterday, I have to ask forgiveness for it. Jesus, if you'll give it to me today, I won't do like I did yesterday. So, individually... Through personal struggle that results in the refining of life and the conquest of self, I manifest as an individual, as a spouse, to combine with another no matter what the ultimate outcome, to reveal the power of union and also the ability to forgive and to love one another in the face of unrelenting, of unrequited love. So whether my marriage works out or whether my marriage doesn't work out, whether the love is reciprocated or not, it is an example to this world of one person committing to another person and giving love unconditionally, service to one another. As a parent, to display selfless love upon one who is solely dependent. You know, when my kids were born, I could not get them to cut the grass at all. When they, were, when they were babies, they, all they could do was cry and eat. 
couldn't do one thing for me, didn't do nothing but cause me trouble and problem, came out owing nine months' rent and wasn't worth nothing when they hit the ground. But I'm going to tell you what, I loved them. I loved them no matter what, and they grew, and, and now they've grown to serve me. They've grown to love me and care for me in my old age. But the fact is, is as a parent, I'm there to give that love. And I'm closing. I know it's time to go. Parents love in advance. So that's how we manifest the image of God as a parent. As a family, to display the safe place of refuge where it is safe to try and to fail without other utter rejection. That's how we manifest the image of God as a family, as a tribe or a group of people where families combine and network, expanding the values of the word of God one to another and creating a network to draw in other families that would equally desire that same value system. As a nation of people who are separate unto God, a kingdom of conscience who display the justice of God. As a world interconnected ecosystem of life displaying the seasons and climates of God's ever-growing glory. And as a universe, the inextricably connected, ever-expanding display of energy continually filling all in all. That's how this kingdom expands over and over and over. So this is the thing, folks. When we fail and we find ourselves exposed and humiliated, we immediately should turn to the only one that's able to bring us to a place of restoration that we might commune again. Because see, ultimately what happens is Jesus brings us full circle through his sacrifice and being the second Adam, dying for our sins and opening the door through baptism and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we find ourselves right back full circle at the Garden of Eden faced with two trees again. And we're at that place again where he can say, come and eat of the tree of life freely. That's what it's about. But let me tell you this. This whole story that I've told you tonight is taking place at God's kitchen table, all in his teacup. He's looking down right in it, and he's in you, and you're in him. And all of this is taking place within his love and his guidance. I don't care what you're facing tonight. I don't care if it's death. I'm talking to people right now. I know there's a young lady right now who, who had a kidney transplant and she's facing the possibility of uh, everybody's telling her it might, she might be rejecting it. But I want you to know that, that she's sitting there right now in God's hands and God is working through that system in that situation to bring his glory through her life. There's people here tonight. I don't know your story. I don't have to know your story. There's one greater than the temple that knows your story. He's right there with you. He understands everything you're going through. And he's working his work in your life. All I ask you is as the devil tells you to reach for that tree of your own understanding that you stop. And realize that everything he's saying is true, but it's also a lie. Step back and trust the principles of God that you don't fully understand long enough to take a bite off of the tree of life. Because when you do, he's coming in just a few minutes to commune with you. He's coming in just a few minutes to sit down and begin to share that life with you and help you understand what he's doing. Let's all stand. I apologize for preaching so long tonight.
But folks, I want you to understand something, that you are right where God has you. Now, you might have gotten there by your own poor decisions, but you're right where God has you. And what he's saying is come to me. Don't hide. Don't let your limitations be the limitations on God. Don't let your naked, listen, God's not scared of your nakedness. God's not scared of your failures. I had a guy tell me one time when I pastored in Ruston, he said, oh, if I come to that church of ceiling tiles, I'll cave in on me. I said, what makes you so special? You think you're so bad, you're scaring God? Listen, there's nothing you can do so good that you don't need him, and there's nothing you can do so bad that the blood won't cover it. I'm telling you, he loves you real big. He loves you, and he wants to be with you. He wants to share his glory with you. He's inviting you into this place. But before we do that, we got to deal with the situation at hand, and that is to expose your heart to him tonight and say, Lord, do what you will do with me. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Close your eyes with me for just a minute. Alpha and Omega, the great I am. Prince of life and the Prince of peace. Lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, the great creator. And Lord of everything, and what he is will never change. What he is will never change. He is truth and truth. Remains what he is will never change. He's closer than a brother. He's kind and true. A friend who's there when other friends have gone. Provider for his children, defender of his own, a mighty tower, a fortress great and strong, and what he is will never change, what he is will never change. He is truth, and truth remains. What he is will never change. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Bless you, Lord. Let's bless the Lord right now. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. We bless you.
Hallelujah. Love somebody. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you for staying so long. Amen.